indeed, Forrest family, it's a privilege to be with you once again this Valentine's morning as we bask not in the love we receive from our husband or wife or person of interest, we, we bask in the love of Jesus Christ. We bask in the fact that the love that God has for us is not a mushy type love. It's not a sentimental type love that wavers depending on how we act. The love that God has for us is based in and comes from his very nature, who he is, because the text of scripture tells us that God is love. Because he is love, if we have Christ in our life, then we always will be love. We won't have to worry about if we got a date today or not. Because God is love. I dare say that apart from Christ, you can't even know love because without God in your life, you don't know what love is. That's a, another sermon for another day. But praise God for the privilege to be with you this morning. This morning, if you would, Forrest family, should open up, would you open your Bibles with me to Joshua, the eighth chapter? Joshua, the eighth chapter, as we are continuing a sermon series through the book of Joshua, fueled by faith. Fueled by faith. And as you do, as you turn in your Bibles, I just want to thank our guests for being with us this morning. Indeed, it's a privilege and honor to have you here. Pray that the Lord will encourage and strengthen you that he will increase your praise even this week because of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do through your life for his glory and for your good. So if you will, let us all stand and begin reading from Joshua, the eighth chapter. This is a lengthy text. If you are unable to stand, no, 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 no worries. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only a spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And when they come out after us, until we have drawn them away from the city, they will say, they are fleeing from us just as before. 
So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai and all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment, the, the main encampment that was north of the city and his rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night, that night, in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place towards Arabah to meet Israel, Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai, in the open wilderness, when they pursued them and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with, with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins, as it is to this day. So he hanged the king of Ai on the tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones, which stands there to this day. Verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tube. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. 
And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel sojourned as well as native born with the elders and officers and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to put a tag on the text before us this morning. Call it a comeback. Call it a comeback. Let us pray. Father God, you are to be praised. For you are good, you are glorious, you are great. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Father, for this love that you have bestowed upon us, for we we are unworthy of this love. Father, we are unworthy of your mercy. We are unworthy of your grace. But yet, in spite of who we are, in spite of what we have done, in spite of what we used to be, Father, you have declared, you have decreed that you will set your affections on a chosen people for your purposes, dear God. And we say thank you. Father, as we have gathered together this morning to worship you, Lord, I pray, Lord, that whatever situations, circumstances, issues of life are coming against us, hearing and heeding your word, Lord, may you tear down in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would give us grace that we will hear you clearly this morning. May you give us eyes to see and hearts that are ready and willing and prepared to hear your word and allow it to take root and bring the transformation that you desire. Give us a deep and rich understanding of who you are through your word this morning, by what you have done through Joshua and Israel in this text. Father, I ask that you would give me grace, for I am nothing, unworthy to preach your word, yet you have chosen me for such a time as this. May you speak, O Lord. May you speak to your people. May you feed us today from your word. Lord God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. One of the best storylines in the making of a movie is the comeback. Think about it. When you are watching a movie and the hero in, in that situation, that sitcom, that that circumstance comes up against a foe. That first time they come up against them, they are normally defeated. They are crushed. They fail. And then for the rest of the movie, for the rest of the story, we see what is taking place in the life of that hero as they go back to train to prepare themselves to come back up against this same foe. The comeback. Movies like Rocky, uh, they, they dwell with us and we think about them all the time. One of my favorite movies was when Rocky was fighting Mr. T. Clubber Lane. Clubber put him down. 
made him look like a fool, made him look like a failure. But then you see Rocky Train and you hear the music. Dun, 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 dun. And he comes out swinging. He's making this comeback. We love a good comeback story. Many of our lives are filled with situations where we have come back from. We thought we were down and out. They thought they had us. They, they thought they were against us, but we come back. But you know what? For many of us, we don't need a physical comeback. We need a spiritual comeback. We have come up against situations. We have come up against sin that has taken us out, taken us down, caused us to fail, and we are in the midst of recovery, the training process. And it's as we look at this text, we think about Israel right now are making their comeback. See, in chapter 7, they have just went, they went out to battle against AI and suffered a humiliating defeat, all because sin was in the camp. Achan's sin. And it wasn't until they removed Achan from the camp and atoned for his sin by sacrificing him and his entire family, but then we find that God's anger was stay. He relented. So the question in chapter 8, because chapter 7 and 8, they, they really go together, but the question, the, the, the big question in chapter 8 is how do you bounce back from failure? How will you respond now that God has given forgiveness? See, a lot of times, when most of the time, when we think about the forgiveness of God, it's like this. God has forgiven me for my sins, so now I can go to heaven, or now I can experience a life with Jesus. And what we forget is that not only is God forgiving you of your sin, but that forgiveness does something else. It's forgiveness in and of itself that has power to do something in your life. Romans 1, 16, it says, it talks about the gospel, uh, and I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the power? The message of the gospel and what it does in your life, the gospel has power to bring change and transformation. If the gospel didn't have power, we're all lost because we have no power to change our own lives. We cannot turn ourselves around. It is but the gospel, but God who turns us around and allows us to make a comeback. That's the beautiful thing about God's forgiveness. Not only does he set you free from sin, but he actually gives you the the power now to walk out this life. That's what we are coming to in this text. We see Israel is making a comeback because God has forgiven them of their sins, and now they are going to fulfill the purposes with which they had been call. They're bouncing back. They're coming back. And when we think about our lives, think about your life. Oftentimes, we plead for God to give us forgiveness. Lord, would you please forgive me for my sin? And the Bible is true. First John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins before him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. When we confess sin, God forgives us our sins. But you know what? After God forgives us our sins, we get stuck in a state of how we will respond. We walk around with this, this, this underlying shame, this, this low-level guilt, 
this, this, this sorrow and discouragement because of what we did. But saints, let me tell you, when God forgives you, you're forgiven. And, and, and the text of scripture says that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? That means that when he forgives you, it's done. He's not going to bring it back up. He's not going to put it in your face. He's not going to uh, cause you to, to, gro- to grovel, to get on your knees, to, to beg for forgiveness because he's not like us. Isn't that how we act? Have you ever had to ask for forgiveness before? And you ask that person for forgiveness. And before, before they give you forgiveness, they act like it's such a pain to, to them to have to forgive you. Would you please forgive me? Well, I'm going to have to pray on that one. And then they go, well, I, I, I forgive you. And you think it's over, don't you? Then the next day, they're kind of not talking to you, kind of standoffish. They're not thinking about you. And, and they're not even looking at you. You, you come down the hallway, they kind of cut their eye. He's like, no, for real, I'm, I'm really sorry. And you finding yourself going back over and over again asking for forgiveness? Trying to prove yourself? This is what God is showing because it's in the text. When he forgives you, you are forgiven. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to beg. You you, You don't have to worry about God being standoffish. You don't have to worry about God treating you some way because of what you've done. You don't have to worry about what he might say or what, who, what would he say to Jesus or, or is, is he telling my business to the angels? You don't have to worry about all that. When God forgives you, it's done. The text says it is cast into the sea as far as the east is from the west. And because what God wants to do is once you are forgiven, he has a job for you to do. This is where we are. God has a job for Israel to do. But if they continue to walk in their guilt, if they continue to walk in their shame, they will never be able to accomplish what God has for them. Because God fully forgives sin, you have another chance to face your failures. Because God has fully forgiven Israel of their sin, they now have another chance to face their failure against AI. Looking here in the text, verses 1 and 2, when we look at Israel, what we see is that uh, God's forgiveness, it provides the courage you need to face your failures. What's going on in verse 1? We see in verse 1 and 2 that God is restoring, he is, he is, he is, encouraging Joshua. He says to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Now, if, you, if you're pretty sharp, that may sound familiar. Well, why? Because in chapter 1, God says the same thing to Joshua before he goes into battle. He told Joshua in chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 9, he says, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Uh, Joshua, I want to encourage you here because what you are about to enter into is it, it will be hard, it will be difficult, but you do not have to fear because I am with you. 
Joshua receives this encouragement and God reminds him that the, this, this land, AI, this, not, this is not an undefeatable land. I have given this land to you. Not only that, all of this spoil will be theirs this time. Unlike Jericho, where they were to devote everything, everything to destruction, God now says, you can have all of the plunder, the oxen and the sheep and the silver. And the, I, I, I knew you wanted it in the first place, but I just needed you to wait on it. Sometimes we, we want to get ahead of God. That's what Achan did. He got ahead of God. God knew what Achan wanted, and God could have provided what Achan wanted, but Achan did it in his own time. And that's our problem. We, we want what we want, but we want it when we want it. But God has brought them to a place where they're finally ready for it. So as they are able to take the plunder, God gives them instruction. He gives them encouragement. He is reminding them. Just like I was with you before the battles, I am with you now in the battles. I am with you right now. And take all the fighting men. Take all of them with you. But I will give the king of Ai into your hands. Take all the plunder. What does this mean for Joshua? This is a, 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 a shot of courage. Because coming off of failure is one of our most vulnerable times. Joshua could have been in the camp uh, singing a woe is me, oh woe is me. Uh, the type of like Eeyore type like, oh nobody knows the trouble. And you know, wallowing in self-pity because he has failed. But God still, he, he, he reaches down and he touches Joshua and says, don't fear. Take heart, be encouraged, because you will have victory. I am with you. You dealt with your sin. You've already taken care of it. That's what I like about this text, because it starts right off, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear. What, What does that tell us? That tells us that God forgives immediately. He's not keeping you hanging. He's not keeping you awaiting to hear from him. When we genuinely come before God and confess our sins, he forgives us right then. Immediate. We don't, we're not on the hook saying, well, I wonder how he responds. You know how, how you say something to someone and you kind of wait to see their body reaction? It's like, they get that? God is like, no, let's take care of business right now. So he, he forgives them. He says, you will go, you will plunder, you will win. This is encouragement. But what does this mean for us? Notice, this is in preparation to go lay an ambush, to get, to get back in the fight. Courage to face your failures prepares you for action. God is preparing Joshua to get back in the fight to to get back on the battlefield for him. He wants to use him. And a lot of times in our lives, when when we fail because of sin, we have fallen into sin, and some situation, some circumstance uh, has resulted because of our disobedience from God, we have a way of uh, not wanting to get back in the fight. It's kind of like, man, I kind of blew it now, and and, and so that's kind of my life. 
But God is saying no matter what the consequences were, when you are forgiven, you need to get up and get back on the battlefield because I got to fight for you. And for your life, I want to use you for my purposes. I feel it necessary to take a slight tangent because I think this, this weighs a lot on men. And the way I believe it weighs on men is because, according to Scripture, men have an awesome responsibility before the Lord, don't we? God will hold us in account for everything that happens in our homes. God is holding us in account for everything that happens in creation. Why? Because he gave Adam dominion, not Eve. He is saying, you are responsible for everything. So what happens as men, we lean on our own understanding and we blow it. We, we blow it sometimes. I blow it sometimes. When, I, when I'm thinking in my flesh about what I want to do, what I desire, I blow it. So when that situation comes around again, I'm kind of fearful to make a decision because I'm kind of nervous about it. Like if, if, if life was a game of golf, sometimes uh, uh, we get the yips. What are the yips? In the game of golf, it's, you, it's when a golfer who has been performing the same movement for uh, hundreds or even maybe thousands of times, all of the sudden, when they get ready to perform that same motion, it's like they kind of tense up, and they're not able to make a decision. But God is calling us men. He says, it doesn't matter if you blew it before. You don't have to live with that guilt. You don't have to live with that shame. Uh, you come to me for forgiveness, and I will give you the strength and the encouragement you need to lead your family once again. Yeah, you might have failed. Yeah, you might have lost this. Yeah, you might have lost that. But just because you lost it doesn't mean that you can let go of your responsibility. Joshua had a responsibility to be used by God to conquer this land. God has given men a responsibility to lead our families. And we can when we ask for forgiveness. Father, I blew it. I've done this. I've done that. I blew it. But you won't hold that over my head. You're going to give me strength to go on. So this is what's taking place in the text. Courage is given to Israel in order that they may fight. So God is giving us courage through Christ that when we are forgiven of our sins, we are to get up and take on the fight. You must prepare. You must prepare for the battle. You must, take, you must uh, uh, go before God, humble yourself, say, I don't know what's best. I know you know what's best. Would you please lead me? Would you encourage me? Will you direct my path? What else do we see here in the text? In verses th- 3 all the way through 29, we see that not only does forgiveness provide the courage we need to face your failures, but forgiveness provides the guidance we need to face your failures. What is going on through 3 through 29? This is the section of the text that Joshua goes out. He gets, this, he gets the command from God. He goes out and immediately he goes against all the fighting men. Did you notice that in the text? All the fighting men. And Joshua 7, what they say? Oh, just get a couple thousand. You only need a few, two or three thousand. And, and, and they'll go up. This is an easy battle. But Joshua, in obedience to God, he goes and gets all the fighting men. He prepares them for battle. He takes them out. They, and in the, in, in the midst of them setting up and getting things ready, God has said, okay, we got some for AI this time. They thought they had you. But we're going to set an ambush. 
So some of you are going to sit on the, the west side. Now stay out of sight. So when we come up and stand before them, they're going to think, oh, they brought more people, so they think they're bad. But we're still going to get out and whoop on them. And when they come out and they think they have us, we're going to act like they got us. And we're going to back up and let them keep coming, let them keep coming. And then you are going to go inside, destroy their city, turn around, and we're going to take them out. That's what's going on here. So God has given them guidance in how to defeat this enemy. This is not an enemy that you can just walk up to. You think you know what you're going to do. Uh, You think you know what you're doing, Israel. But I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. This is what's going on in the text. But what does this really mean? This shows us that when God gives us guidance... Sometimes it's a change of strategy. After we have been forgiven for our sin, sometimes we have to realize that the approach we took was messed up. It was jacked up. It's like you're trying to get to a destination. You keep getting lost, but you keep turning the same way. You're you're trying to achieve your goal, but you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You keep trying to stay out of sin, but you keep finding yourself in sin. You, you You keep trying to stay out of sexual sin, but you keep finding yourself over that girl house when nobody's home watching a movie on Valentine's Day. Uh oh. Uh oh. And you keep saying, Lord, oh, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I know I keep falling. Lord, I, Lord, Lord I'm just struggling in this area. Really? Uh, a struggle means that you're actually putting up a fight. And to put up a fight means sometimes you've got to have a change of strategy. If they keep hitting you, if Satan keeps hitting you with the right hook, at some point you're going to have to duck a block. You can't let it just keep on hitting you. You have to have a change of game plan. And what God does, he, he flips the script. He changes the game plan. Okay, Israel, you did it your way. You're, now, now you're going to do it my way. And when you do it my way, you will have the victory now. When we do things God's way, we will receive victory. And in this ambush... The king of Ai, they, he thinks he has them where he wants them. And many times in our life, sin thinks it has us where it wants us. Satan has taken the same approach. He has taken the same issue, and he's coming at us. He, it, if, if it's a struggle of, of, of pornography, if it's a struggle with social media, then sometimes that change of strategy means that I'm going to have to get rid of some things in my life. I'm going to have to get some protection, some, some, some accountability. I'm going to have to set up some blocks. I have to take a new route to fight this fight because I keep losing. But God gives them a new strategy. And that is completely freeing because it's through God's guidance. This is what's going on. But not only does God's guidance provide a new strategy, it's guidance from God that provides the needed victory. There's some areas in our lives that we really need to be victorious over. 
Satan is on our back. Satan is on our neck. We really need to be delivered. But God is saying, I have given you my word. Everything in my word, everything in here, all that you need for life and the godliness is in my word. You just need to come. You just need to read. You just need to drink. You just need to drink from my cup. Turn off the, turn off the TV a little while and pick up, pick, pick up my love letter to you. If, if you're lacking wisdom, why don't you pick up a proverb? If your soul is disturbed, why don't you pick up a song? If you question your salvation, why don't you pick up Romans? If you're fearful about the end, why don't you pick up Revelation? If you want to know about Jesus, why don't you pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? If you're trying to figure out how they used to do it back in the day and why they do it now, why don't you pick up Exodus? If you're trying to know what's your purpose and where you come from, why don't you pick up Genesis? If you're trying to understand how I navigate life, I just might pick up James. or I might pick up Corinthians. I might pick up Colossians when I want to see the the glorious goodness of Jesus. I might pick up uh, Acts to know how the church is supposed to function. How do church people supposed to act? I'm going to pick up Acts and I'm going to read it. God is saying, I have given you guidance in all these matters. You just need to read. You just need to come. And as he is guiding Israel towards their victory through his word, through this strategy, it is because they are near to him. Guidance to face your failures give you a plan for your fight. Many of us, we're, we're fighting a battle that we, we have no clue what's going on. We're just kind of swinging in the dark. God wants to give you a strategy. Stop wasting your punches. Stop wasting your energy. Trust him as he gives you guidance. You must prepare, but also you must fight. Lastly, in the text, verses 30 through 35, not only do we receive courage from forgiveness, Not only do we receive guidance from forgiveness, but God's forgiveness provides restoration when you face your failures. Verses 30 through 35, after they have conquered Ai, basically Israel has a worship service, a celebration to the goodness of God. And at this celebration, in Deuteronomy, Moses had told them that when they get into the land, uh, not so much on the outskirts, but when you get into the land and you're right by Mount Ebal, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get some stones, and you're going to set up these stones as, as an altar uh, to, for the sacrifice. And it will not only serve as an altar for sacrifice, but also it will be a memorial uh, reminding you just what I've done here. You will do a, 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 a burnt offering and a peace offering. And then as you go through this ceremony, half of you will be set up on the left and half of you are set up on the right. Uh, uh, half of you will represent the blessings and half of you will represent the curses. And, and Joshua will read then all the scripture and all the law before you. And the Levitical priest and the Ark of the Covenant would be in your midst. This is what's happening here. Well, what's going on? Part of it is that uh, I believe that God is showing them that he did it. He did all of this. And he does that through the building, even the building of this altar. 
Because as the altar is built, he says, no, no tool, no, no refining of the stone is supposed to be done. Well, why is that? I believe that God is giving them, he, he's showing them that I'm able to do this myself. So I don't need you to, to carve out this stone. Just build up the rocks because they're good enough. I don't need your hand. I don't need your help. But not only that, he tells them to give a burnt offering and a peace offering. Well, the burnt offering was the uh, offering that would go up every day. And it would show God that, that, that th- we are atoning for our, our sins and all of our lives is yours. They would put their hand on the bull or the goat. Then they would slay the bull or the goat for the forgiveness of sin. And then put the entire animal and burn up the entire animal as an offering to the Lord. But then on the back of that, he says a peace offering. Well, what's the peace offering? The peace offering would be the the same thing. You would put your hand on it. They would slay the animal for forgiveness of sin, but they would hold back a portion for themselves to eat. So what God is doing, he's saying that we're in this together. As you give honor to me, as you glorify me, I'm going to make sure you're provided for. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. I'm going to make sure that, that where you were broken, I will build up. God is doing all of these symbols and signs to restore Israel to completeness. After, after fumbling and falling, they have a sense of failure, a sense of brokenness, a sense of being incomplete. But through this renewal covenant ceremony, God is saying, at As you are my witness before all of this, you are my people. And we are in covenant together. This is what's going on right here. So when we think about restoration, restoration comes when you face your failures. But the result is worship. The result is worship. And and why, why are they worshiping? Because their sins are forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. They are in perfect harmony and and union, communion with God here. They're they're no longer a people who are broken from God. In chapter 7, God says, you have betrayed my covenant. They broke the covenant. They broke fellowship. They broke faith. And now God is restoring their faith. They're restoring them as a people. God will take your failure sometime and turn them around and build you up through that situation. Because God takes our failures and he can turn them into blessings. This restoration results in worship. So what's what's the point of all of this? What's the point? As we walk through life in obedience to God, we will fail. 1 John 1 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we lie. And the truth is not in us. What does that mean? That we all sin. Shake your head like this. I'm a sinner. I sin. I do wrong. I, I, I make mistakes. I, I get angry. I say wrong words. And that, and that's all of us. As we are walking this life, God has a, a very specific purpose for each and every one of us. But as we walk through this life, we will fail. We will sin. 
But this, 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 this narrative shows us the, the, the great mercy and grace that God has for us because even in the midst of our sin, God is saying, I am right here. All you have to do is turn back to me. And someone in here today is they have been in their sin and they, they're stuck. They have guilt. They have shame. And Jesus is saying, just turn around because I will take that from you. I will set you free. You may be saying that you'll never be able to face your failures because God can never forgive someone like you. Is that true? Can, can God forgive me for, for what I've done? You, preacher, you don't know what I've done. Preacher, you don't know what I've been through. You, you don't know where I come from. You don't know my story. Well, you know what? I don't. But Jesus does. Turns with me to Mark, the third chapter. The question we want to ask there is, how far does God's forgiveness extend? In Mark, the third chapter, Beginning with verse 28, Jesus is in an interesting discussion with the scribes, Pharisees. And they have attributed his power to Satan. And in the midst of all this wickedness, Jesus says this, he says, truly I say to you, All sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now stop. Well, what does that mean? Pretty much in a nutshell, when when anyone attributes to to the Holy Spirit, Being the tool of Satan to do anything, that is an unforgivable sin. Well, can I commit the unforgivable sin? Well, pretty much, if you care about the unforgivable sin, then you pretty much won't commit the unforgivable sin. But what is taking place? He's saying that all sin known to man, everything under the sun can and will be forgiven. Well, why is that? It's forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. On Calvary's cross, when Jesus is lifted high and stretched wide, and he is, he, what he has taken upon himself is the sins of this world, and only his blood is able to take away all the sin. Well, why is blood necessary? Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Well, what does that mean? That somebody has to die for sin in order for forgiveness to come. Well, what took place by Jesus dying on Calvary's cross and him being the perfect man uh, and still being perfectly God in himself, he took the punishment for sin on your behalf and gives you the righteousness that that he had. It it, It is an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness that is credited to us So when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, his blood is applied to my account, which means I am forgiven. All we need is one drop. It's enough. When we confess our sin, 
when we turn from sin through repentance and turn towards Jesus by faith, we are forgiven. There's no testimony too dirty. There is no story too wicked. There is no place too far. There is no mountain too high. There's nowhere that you can go where God's blood can't touch. So when God says you are forgiven, you are completely forgiven. Because it's not based upon what you have done, but it's based upon the greatest comeback ever. Because when Jesus died and was placed in the tomb, his resurrection gave credence, what was the was the the sign that showed everyone that this is God's son. It is finished. Because God fully forgives sin, you have another chance to face your failures. The forgiveness God gives provides courage. The forgiveness God gives provides guidance. But best of all, the forgiveness God gives provides restoration for those broken folks just like us. So though you may have fallen, though you may have failed, we can trust in Jesus and we can call it a comeback. Let us pray. Father, thank you for being the God of not a second chance, not a third chance, but the God of another chance. But, Father, we fail so often we fall. Sin has so corrupted us that, that we believe up is down and we can believe left is right. But, Father, when we focus our eyes on you, you have a way to straighten everything out. So, Father, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you will show us what it means to be forgiven and what it means to be a people who are living in the forgiveness secured through the blood of Christ. Father, there's no, greater, uh, there's no greater power than the blood of Jesus to wash away our sin. Thank you for the fact that you loved us so much that even when we had our backs turned towards you, you still died for us. Thank you for being a proactive God, an unconditional God, not waiting for us, but securing salvation on our behalf through Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I ask that you would free someone up today, someone who has been walking in guilt, who has been walking in shame. May they understand that you are not in heaven angry at them if, you, if they have confessed their sin, but that they are free to be used for your very purposes. Lord, we just love you, and we thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.